Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Genesis. Tonight is study number 9 of Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 8 and following. And Jehovah God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Now the ground made Jehovah God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. And we'll stop reading there. Well, God has just described the creation of Adam, and we spent some time discussing that in verse 7. And now he turns his attention to planting a garden eastward in Eden. And it is within that garden that he puts the man that he just made, the man Adam. And, you know, one of the questions we have when we read this is why? Why did God section off an area and call it the Garden of Eden? And why did he put the man in that particular place? Because the the reason we ask this question is that the whole world was a paradise. The whole world was like a garden. And everything was was beautiful. Everything uh was glorious. Everything was good. There there were no thorns, no thistles, all of the trees would have been fruitful and 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 good to eat there would have been no poisonous fruit of any kind anywhere in all the world and we have to keep in mind that god created a big earth even though uh, from what we can understand the earth was one continent it, it was not in our present form with the divided continents but it was still a huge landmass full of vegetation, full of fruitful trees, full of beauty. And yet, despite that, God says, now I'm going to make a garden. And he did make a garden. He planted, it says, a garden eastward in Eden. And we don't know how big the garden was, how many square miles it was. But but uh, all we know is that out of the whole world, God establishes an, an area within the world that is to receive special focus, special care, special consideration. And there is where he puts the man, the, the man that he has just created in his own image and likeness. And again, 
as we wonder about this, we think of the possible reasons why God could do this, we can only conclude that God has done this in order to continue painting a spiritual picture, as we've seen. That everything God has done with the creation up to this point has had a underlying, deeper spiritual meaning. It's true history, but it, it has taught various aspects of his gospel, of his salvation program, of spiritual truth. And, and so too here in Genesis 2 verse 8, when Jehovah God planted a garden eastward in Eden, God established a special arena for testing, but also for special care and, and concern and so forth that can only be, um, prefiguring the outward representation of the kingdom of God on earth as the Lord will later in time, later in history, establish the, uh, the nation of Israel to be his outward representative of his kingdom. And then after that, to establish the New Testament churches and congregations uh, to carry the mantle of being the representation of God's kingdom of heaven to the inhabitants of the earth until God ended that relationship by ending the church age. And, and in both cases with Israel, what did we have? We had God dealing with a family, uh, Jacob, who had his name turned to Israel, and his sons, his 12 sons, formed the 12 tribes of Israel. And, and and they became a great nation after being delivered from Egypt. And God established that nation of Israel in the land of Canaan. Now look how God refers to that in Psalm 80. He says in verse 7, Turn us again, O God of hosts, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt. Thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it. Thou preparest room before it and didst cause it to take deep root. And it filled the land. The hills were covered with the shadow of it and the bows thereof were like the goodly cedars and, and so forth. God likens the bringing of the Israelites out of Egypt and then their entry into the promised land, the earthly promised land that pictured the heavenly, the kingdom or the the land of Canaan, as though he planted them. He he planted them like a vine. He he took a plant out of Egypt, he planted it in the land of Canaan. And that relates to God planting a garden eastward in Eden. Eden is the garden of God within the world of that day. The the rest of the world was not called the Garden of Eden, just that special area. And 
God planted Israel in their land in the Middle East, and they alone became the ambassadors or the representatives of God to the people of the earth. All the other nations were not God's holy people or set-apart people. Only Israel was. Uh, And God speaks of Israel also in Matthew 21's parable. As he says in verse 33, Here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. Now, of course, this is different because it's speaking of a vineyard, but there are similarities between a garden and a vineyard. They're, they're, they're both in the business of growing things, growing um, vegetation, and fruit can come forth from a garden as well as a vineyard. But notice the word planted. The householder planted a vineyard, hedged it round about, and dig the wine press in it. And we know because God explains that the husbandman he had uh, let it out to slay the son of the householder and and then God says that that he will turn that vineyard over to other husbandmen and that's what happened when Christ the Lord Jesus entered into the world into the land of Israel as he was born in 7 BC and died on the cross in 33 AD That all took place in the land of Israel, for the most part. As a child, he did go into Egypt. But for the most part, the events of the gospel took place in Israel, in the vineyard, until Jesus, the son of the householder, God the Father, was slain. And then God took the vineyard that he had planted Remember Psalm 80 said he took a vine out of Egypt and planted it. God took the vineyard and turned it over to other husbandmen, the the, uh, people of the New Testament churches and congregations, became the vineyard in the New Testament era. And the Lord speaks of that in the Old Testament book, of Isaiah, where he says, beginning in verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 5, Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill, and he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a winepress therein, and he looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes, or grapes of a stench. And that, of course, that choicest vine that God planted in the Old Testament vineyard of Israel, and in the New Testament vineyard of the church, is Christ. As John 15 tells us, my father is the husbandman. Or Christ is, um, how's it go? I am the vine, and my father is the husbandman. 
in John 15, verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. God is likening his whole salvation program to planting the vine Christ and the bringing forth of fruit. And as we know from um, other scriptures that God has identified his program of times and seasons with with periods of rain and periods of fruitfulness. The early righteous rain produces the fruit who is Jesus himself. And then the early rain brings forth the first fruits unto God, all those saved during the church age. And then the latter rain brings forth the great multitude. And so God's whole program that spans the history of the world is likened to growing fruit, vegetation, and the rain that falls upon it. And that's exactly what happens in a garden, isn't it? A garden is a place where vegetation grows. And a garden must be cared for. When when you have a garden, you have to water the plants so that they will grow. And that's where the Lord's uh, times and seasons and periods of rain come in. He had to send the rain in order to bring forth the fruit. Well, as we begin to talk about the Garden of Eden, it helps to understand that this is an early figure. In actuality, it was a representation of God's kingdom on earth at the time that God established the garden. There there were no other uh, places on earth. This is where God's presence was seen. It's where he communicated with Adam and Eve as, as he would walk in the cool of the day and, and so forth. The law of God was given concerning the garden. Actually, let's look at seven similarities between the Garden of Eden and the corporate church. Turn over to Genesis 3, Genesis 3, and I'm going to read the first three verses. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which Jehovah God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And and then the serpent continues and says, Ye shall not surely die, and so forth. Now, I, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, because, Lord willing, we will soon be into chapter 3 and discussing these things, but I think it's important because much of the remaining information in chapter 2 revolves around the garden. And and this Garden of Eden 
again, is a special place established by God. And so let's look at seven similarities. There may be more, but here are seven that I noticed between the Garden of Eden and um, an outward representation of God's kingdom. And we'll we'll just compare it to the church, even though some of these things may also compare to Israel. Number one, uh, there was the establishment in the of the Garden of Eden within the world. The, the, the whole world was not the Garden of Eden, but a segment of the world became the Garden of Eden, like God established churches within the world. The, the whole world was not a church, but God established a, um, the corporate church, and and these churches became his representatives to the rest of the world. Okay, a second similarity is that the Garden of Eden is where the law of God was governing. God said, of the tree which was in the midst of the garden. The, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was not outside of the garden. Uh, uh, you know, that that's something maybe we haven't spent too much time thinking about. But But not only could Adam and Eve have eaten of all the trees within the garden, except that one tree that God gave a law, and said, uh, you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the only known law that that God had given them, not to eat of that tree. And yet outside of the garden was a whole world full of fruitful trees. And And so not only did they have access to trees within the garden, but outside the garden. There, there was plenty of food, plenty of trees that that would have been beautiful to the eye and and so forth and and uh would have had good fruit, but God again gave law for this tree that was in the midst of the garden and and so there was law um w- within the garden of eden and and just as the Bible is the law book of God, and the Bible was within the churches, the the Bible was not found out in the world. If people out in the world wanted to hear the law of God throughout the church age, they went to the church. Uh, yes, of course, people had Bibles in their homes, but primarily, well, later, not. Not for many centuries of the church age was that true, but later they did. But primarily, if people wanted to hear the Bible during the church age and hear it taught and read, they went to church for many centuries of the church age. And and so the law was in the church, just like the law of God was governing the Garden of Eden concerning that tree. A third similarity is uh Satan comes as an angel of light he he came as the serpent that was more subtle than any beast and all the creatures including the serpent would have been beautiful would have been good it, he he did not come as some frightening thing 
He came as a, a subtle serpent, which would have identified with wisdom in some ways. And, and he came as though he possessed knowledge and understanding, more knowledge and understanding than Eve. He came as an angel of light. And he was an angel. He was in the process of being a fallen angel, but he was an angel of God. And, and so he comes against Adam and Eve, um, and, and against the garden. The garden is the focal point of Satan's assault against God. The serpent wasn't operating anywhere else in the world at that time. He was keyed in. He, he focused his attention on the garden because God established the garden. God placed the man in the garden. The whole focus of Satan Therefore, it was on destroying that garden. He, he was coming against the garden that God had established and trying to use the law that God gave concerning a tree in the midst of the garden against the, the, the people of God created in God's image. And that, that's a, another similarity that might make eight because I didn't write that down that that Adam and Eve were made in the likeness of God. They were the people of God, just as uh, members or, or people of the New Testament church were people of God. Well, uh, again, another similarity is that t- Satan targeted the woman. He did not come uh, to Adam first. He He did not approach Adam. Adam was not the one that he determined to come against. As we read in 1 Timothy chapter 2, where God lays down the law for women uh, concerning the gospel in 1 Timothy 2 verse 11, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. The serpent was very uh, subtle. He, he, he did know what he was doing uh, as... Eve came from the man. The man was first. The man was given the law by God. And perhaps, um, we don't know all, of course, um, of Satan's thinking and reasons, but he could have felt that the woman would be the easier target. She uh, was not in existence, for one thing, as long as the man and and so he first approaches the woman and he begins to have a conversation with the woman and deceives the woman and in in so doing as he targets the woman so also does satan target the churches 
as within the churches, God um, tells us, is the bride of Christ, the, the spiritual woman. And and so the, the church takes upon itself the role of the woman. So Satan comes against God and his kingdom by going to the woman and trying to deceive the woman as um, the serpent did deceive Eve, Satan has been very successful deceiving uh, the people, the members of the churches and congregations. He um, has perverted and twisted and distorted the teachings of the Bible again and again using the same old tactic, half God said, casting doubt, upon the truth of the scripture and introducing an idea, a doctrine that is untrue, that is a lie. It it is uh, a tactic that worked in the very beginning and has worked successfully against the church since the church's beginning, since the church was planted. The devil has come against the church to deceive the woman, and uh, we we know since he was um, very successful in sowing tares amongst the wheat that is un, uh, infiltrating the churches with unsaved individuals, that the serpent's beguiling of Eve was prefiguring Satan's beguiling of the corporate church down through the centuries of the church age. Well, also, um, the garden, finally, the garden of Eden, which was the the area that represented God and his kingdom of the earth of that time, fell into sin. And the garden uh, lost its innocence and the garden became corrupt like all the world, corruption took over all the earth, but it, it, it happened within the Garden of Eden too. Thorns and thistles would develop because of the fall into sin, just as the church would fall into apostasy. And then finally, one last similarity is that man was sent out of the garden in Genesis 3, verse 23, therefore, Jehovah God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Man who was given the garden to dress, uh, to till, or to keep, was uh, eventually driven out of the same garden. God planted the church. He He gave it over to other husbandmen whose role would be to care for the vineyard in order to bring forth fruit. But finally, God destroys the vineyard, as we would read in Isaiah chapter 5. And finally, God commands his people to depart out of the midst of the church. We, we really see in the account of the Garden of Eden a spiritual picture of God's dealings 
with uh, Israel of old in many cases, and especially with the New Testament church and congregation. Well, all right, um, let's just keep that in mind as we're reading of the garden, that this is God's uh, representation. This is representing his kingdom on earth. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.